Hello, friends, musicians, teachers, students, anyone that's trapped in quarantine like me. Welcome to the Perfectly Imperfect Musician podcast. I am your host, Teresa K. Newman, formerly known as Powell. Um, this is the first episode of this podcast since quarantine started, and let's be honest, a little bit before that, I took a hiatus. I've been taking a little podcast hiatus lately, but I stepped back a few minutes today and I thought to myself, why not jump back in? Um, I have to tell you a quick story first before we get into the topic of the day, which is how to support yourself and your students musically and creatively during quarantine and virtual learning, which we're all dealing with having to come to grips with this new reality and figure out how to make it work for us as creatives and as teachers and as mentors. Um, So before I get into all that, I would like to give a sincere, heartfelt apology to my friend Christine Salter. She uh, recorded a really fabulous interview with me Uh, for this podcast about six months ago. And of course, me being who I am, uh, struggling with all of my uh, ADHD and uh, procrastination issues, of course, like put it off. And then here I am now, did an update on my software and boom, her interview's missing. So anyway, um, that hopefully will be sometime in the near future. If I go digging enough, I'm sure I'll find a backup of that file somewhere and you'll be uh, blessed to listen to that interview. Um, she has come out with a new album this year and it's really, really good stuff. We go way back. She's an awesome musician, awesome friend. So anyway, here's to you, kid. We'll be looking for that in the future. Okay, so... I thought to myself, self, I'm not a guru in any way as far as technology goes. And just like you, um, virtual learning and virtual teaching is kind of a new experience for me. And I've been doing some things experimental and getting ideas from other people. And it's just been this really amazing sharing uh, experience with all of my colleagues and fellow teachers. Uh, And I thought, you know, maybe it's just a good idea to share some of the things that work for me and my students. And uh, even if this is more tailored to music teachers and musicians, it may help you in your own content area or your own classroom. Um, And even if you're not a teacher, if you're a musician that's still trying to figure out how to find your corner of the market, um, maybe some of these ideas can help you as well. And outside of anything that I give you guys today, I would love to hear some of your input. I always welcome uh, comments and uh, if you have any good ideas to include in the next episode, because this is ultimately going to be uh, become a series of episodes on virtual learning, please reach out to me. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram and I'm on now I'm on TikTok and a couple of other places. So I'll go ahead and link all of my social medias in the show notes to this. And um, if you find this episode link in any teacher Facebook groups 
or uh, just my personal Facebook group, please, please, please share this so I can get the word out and we can start sharing ideas um, on a podcast platform. Okay, let's get to it. So I am a lister. Here is my list. Ways to support yourself and your students musically and creatively during quarantine and virtual learning. First of all, I think it's really important to set our own stage and set up an invigorating recording streaming practice workspace. Um, So this is kind of a mind over matter situation. Everyone knows that we think a little clearer when our office is clean and tidy and decorated the way we wanted it to. So that kind of plays into that idea, but it's more specifically um, having all the right tools and having the right setup so that you're going to be successful in a virtual setting. Um, So some things that seem pretty basic, but um, it's just worth going through anyway. Um, make sure that your space has really good lighting. Um, if you don't already, invest in a few really important technological tools, like a, a really good mic. Um, I use a Yeti Blue. I know there's a lot of people that use uh, similar setups that are freestanding mics. Um, if you have the money to invest in something a little nicer, awesome. This one's been working really great for me for the last three years since I've been podcasting and I really highly recommend it. Also a a recording light. So we've all seen those ring lights that that, um, people are using now to record social media content. This works really well in a virtual lesson setting um, or virtual classroom setting. Um, It just gives you a little bit more direct light to your face and um, keeps you from looking like a Disney villain. (laughs) Um, And uh, I feel like if they can see you better, they're going to pay attention to you better, um, which also plays into another point that I'm going to say later on, which is like present yourself in a really professional way as well. Um, I try really hard to have my hair done, face done, all that good stuff, because I think if you present yourself well on video, then you'll have a better response and a little bit better engagement um, from the people you're interacting with, from students, etc. It plays into the same idea of really high quality, good looking videos get more likes on social media. They get more views, they get more attention. So set up your area, set up your lighting, set up yourself to be really presentable. Um, just like your classroom will be, whatever's behind you in the camera is going to be what the kids are going to see. So visuals, colorful graphics. Um, I plan on putting up a whiteboard behind me pretty soon as soon as I get that uh, income tax check in and um, that'll really help with uh, displaying notes and things that I want my students to put down and and remember. A couple of other things for your workspace. I use a phone stand um, or tripod stand. A lot of these come with the ring lights already attached. So just do your research and find something. There are lots of really cost-effective, affordable options out there. Um, so just look around. If you want any suggestions, I can give you some suggestions. I've been doing a lot of research on these little uh, tripod devices. Other than that, just all of your normal classroom materials. You want to have everything on hand. Um, the last thing you want to do is be digging around and going out of frame to find what you need for that class or that lesson. 
Um, so have all your writing materials on hand. Make sure that your headphones are ready if you need them. Make sure that your phone charger is set up so that if you need to plug your phone or your device in, it's there. Um, never leave the frame if you can help it. And I try to encourage my students to do that as well. They have to have everything in place before they start so we don't have a lot of getting up and leaving the room and leaving the frame. Okay, number two, stay challenged in the absence of competition. Now, I'm gonna caveat that by saying that I know a lot of my listeners are Texas teachers, Texas students. Obviously, we are not going to be stopping competition, okay? We've already gotten started with TMEA, All-State all Audition Prep. Um, that's still going on, albeit it's probably going to end up being video auditions this year, but still. We do have those competitions in place. Bands are still going to have some semblance of a competition, although we're not really sure what that's going to look like just yet. But what I'm really talking about is things outside of that. So not to detract from anything that they're doing in their band classes or their orchestra classes uh, or their choir classes, but it's really more about staying challenged. First, of, first and foremost is you as a teacher. So there's some ways that we're going to talk about challenging yourself as a teacher in a little bit, but that that pushing yourself to create new things, to work new music, to challenge yourself to learn a new skill, those sorts of things are gonna transfer over to your students. Uh, so for example, I have started doing music history videos. And I love music history, but I've never really done anything that is like a public presentation of music history bits. And I've started doing that. And I think that has challenged me and it has helped me become a better uh, musician and it's also helped me become a better teacher and so if you challenge yourself to create and to go outside of your your normal like teacher box or your normal musician box um, you're going to be more inclined to encourage your students to do things outside of their norm as well some things that you can do to encourage challenge and competition in your studio or in your ensemble outside of your standard all region audition prep and um, your marching band football material is to focus on certain areas of study that you normally wouldn't have time to do or normally wouldn't be able to prioritize if you were in a 100% face-to-face setting. So one of the beautiful things that I've found about being virtual this summer is that my students have not only gotten a little bit more curious about things like advanced level theory, uh, music history, oral skills training, um, arranging, those sorts of things. I probably would have either pushed to the very end of the school year when we had quote unquote free time um, or kind of used them as a more of a teaching tool to advance solo competition solos or uh, audition music or that sort of thing. But in, in our virtual setting, we've used this little bit of flexibility in our format to start new projects. So for instance, my studio did a, a listening project where they were to pick a, a professional musician, someone who is famous in their own field, 
and there to listen to several different recordings of that person and analyze what makes that person's performance different from any other person that they would have listened to. So I guess it, it was a project in analyzing performance technique and individual musicianship. Anyway, a multitude of ways that you could do that. Um, I've also really, really spent a bunch of time this summer pushing my students in their technique studies. So not only giving them different patterns and different uh, exercises that we wouldn't have delved into this early, but um, encourage them to move a little quicker on them or push themselves a little faster or, you know, even make it a competition. I have a pair of brother, sister, and I try to make it a competition between them because they love being able to beat the other one out, you know, or play the, play the pattern better or play the pattern faster or cleaner or uh, whatever. So anyway, those are some little things I could go on and on about uh, that, but I may make that a separate podcast episode on its own. So moving on to number three, utilize trendy social media and content creation apps. Okay, now this may seem very, very trivial, but I wanna explain before you decide to tune out and and fast forward through this. So I am a firm believer that kids are going to prioritize whatever it is that they're gonna prioritize, no matter whether you think it is valid or not, right? You may think that Instagram and TikTok are a massive waste of time. And you may be right. I am not going to disagree with you. But if you look at the way that some of that content is structured versus our standard like YouTube video or Facebook video, um, it's a lot more interactive and it's a lot more multimedia and editing driven. So those kind of eye-catching effects are going to engage and keep your students attention a little bit more than your standard like five or six minute video, right? Um, I've done several things this summer where I will make a TikTok separately from anything that I would normally show them, but I would make it an instructional video on something we've been working on that day and add graphics and sound and cute editing. And it gives them a short 60 second lesson in the format they're familiar with, right? They're looking at these videos all day long. They're looking at Instagram uh, stories all day long. So when they can see something that is instructional in a format that is familiar to them, they're gonna go, oh, this pertains to me, right? So it's like you're giving them information that's from their world and not yours. So that's just food for thought outside of just using those platforms to engage your students, they really are fun to use. And the editing power that you get from Instagram and TikTok are quite amazing, actually. So I would encourage you, if you're not using those platforms personally, go ahead and create a professional, like a separate account that's linked to maybe like an Instagram, a TikTok, and... um, I don't know, YouTube channel that kind of all ties and links together so that you can post original content to share with your studio or your ensemble. And we'll go into that a little bit later as well. All right, so number four, encourage content creation, creative projects, and musical composition and arranging. So this kind of goes back to number two, where we're trying to challenge ourselves to do things outside of the norm or um, a little bit more advanced level 
skill sets that we wouldn't tap into normally. Again, I think I'm going to make a separate episode just dedicated to certain things that you can do as far as content creation with and for your students. But as far as your own self, I know myself as an artist, I've been doing so much outside of my norm this summer. And I know that it's because I've been stuck at home and I know that it has been um, fueled by boredom. And I think it's great. You know, I'm not ever going to apologize for making acapella videos and arrangements of the Golden Girls theme song. I had such a fun time doing that, right? And as silly as it may seem, it got my musical gears moving. It kept my skill set fresh, right? I was able to use some oral skills, basic oral skills, basic dictation, basic harmonization skills, and... You know, just the just the act of putting something together that you enjoy listening to and that's fun and that puts a smile on your face, it's an instant mood booster and it also is like an instant ego boost, right? Because you're creating content that is relevant to you and that shows off what kind of skills you have, you know. Um, so anyway, that's just a, that's just an example, but content creation is really great for also reaching out to your peers and to other students who may not be in your direct ensemble or your direct, uh, your studio. You can share that material with people that you never would have been able to teach otherwise. So that's another thing that I like to remember. And even if I only reach two or three people, that's fine. You know, I mentioned these music history videos that I've been making. I maybe average 60, 70, 100 views on each video, but I know that that's 100 people that may not have ever learned about Scott Joplin in a true like historical sense and what he contributed to the black music community. Reach, reach some people. All right. Share what you've got. Okay, number five, amp up technique study, oral skills training, music theory, and music history lessons. So here's what I have found over the um, over this whole experience. I found that students are a lot more willing to work on the hard stuff than you would actually imagine. And I, I know that it's a real stereotype to say, oh yeah, my kids are really hardworking. They love a challenge. It's easy to say that, but we as teachers often back off of that sentiment because we want our students to be successful, right? We don't want them to feel overwhelmed. We are empaths as teachers and as empaths, we're going to act as an empath and try to make everyone else's lives around us a little easier, right? But this is a time where we need to fight that urge, okay? And remember what it was like for us when we were that age. And I had teachers in high school who never questioned how old I was. They just threw me a set of pentatonic scales and made me learn them as if it was not a question that I needed to know them. So if I throw my eighth grade coming into ninth grade student, um, their whole tone scale set, do most eighth grade students know about a whole tone scale? Maybe 50%. I don't know exactly, but I can honestly say I normally wouldn't have gone there that early. 
Now, high schoolers have been learning it, but there was no reason why they couldn't learn those. And so I gave it to them, and guess what? They did it. And I have every flute student in my studio from 8th grade through 12th grade. They, if they, even if they don't have the stuff memorized yet, they know that it exists. They know the theory behind it because we've spent significant amounts of time discussing the theory behind each one of these uh, technique patterns, these scale patterns, and they know how to reproduce them. Okay, so if I ask somebody, describe to me the difference between a diminished seventh and a major seventh chord, they'll be able to do it. Now, it may take them a few minutes, but we took the time for, to do that. So, and I, I'm pretty proud of that. And I think that, yes, it's still going to feel like a chore to work those types of things. But if you find a way to work it in, they're going to work it out. You expect it from them, they're going to do it. And every educator worth their salt knows all this. I know this is so very basic, but I can attest to the fact that as a former classroom teacher, as a former band director, um, I know how it feels to get bogged down with all the necessary uh, evils, <laughs> you know, of teaching a large ensemble. So I'm not here to, to preach to anyone. I know how it is. But I think my best advice as a private lesson teacher to other private lesson teachers and to large ensemble directors is read the temperature of the room. And if someone's asking a lot of questions and they're giving you hints that they need more, give them more, you know. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox on that. All right, may completely delete that whole section altogether because I'm feeling very self-conscious that everyone is judging me. But that's what this podcast is about. No one's judging me and no one's judging you. Okay, number five. Uh, no, number six. Uh, create a hyper-structured practice routine and lesson format with multiple centers or parts. I think this is a lot easier for us to do in a face-to-face -face classroom because we can control the pacing of the lesson a little bit better. Now, I have not had a whole lot of experience teaching classes with multiple students in the frame. I mean, dozens. I've taught some, some circumstances where I've had a couple of students in the frame at one time, but to have like 40 or 50, I know it's a totally different situation. But... I found that in, in whatever setting that I've been teaching since March or April or whenever this whole thing started, that if I, if I know when exactly each little section of my lesson ends and starts, the whole thing just is a lot, a lot smoother. And the kids come in knowing exactly what they're supposed to do. This goes back to basic pedagogy 101 or classroom management 101. I have things set up to where there are visuals so they know what's coming up and when it's coming up next. I'm making them write their assignments down as we do them. So I would really, really advise that you encourage parents first to buy their kids a notebook that's specifically just for taking notes for your lessons or classes. Get them accountable for their own schedule and get them accountable for what they're supposed to be practicing that week. Um, that's step one. And st I think step two for that would be to give them different avenues for learning in each lesson. Here's how I structure my lessons. 
let's say I have a, an hour long lesson. I'm going to do the first 15 minutes just doing tone development and technique. Technique pass offs. We're going to, most of the time, we'll start with some sort of tone development exercise, some kind of long tone warm up, harmonics, whatever. Um, and then we'll go straight into their assigned technique for the week. They know the tempo they're supposed to play that in. They know um, how they're supposed to articulate that uh, exercise. And um, they have gotten some kind of example from me as to how it's supposed to sound and how it's supposed to be presented and what the goals are of that exercise. So why are they learning that specific pattern? And why is it gonna be useful for them in the future? They should be able to tell that back to me before we move on to the next week's exercise. I always make sure that I give them a preface or a, a mini lesson on the next week's exercises after they've passed off the previous week's exercises. Um, so they get their little mini theory lesson. They have to repeat back to me the theory and structure of whatever technical exercise they're getting for that week so that they understand, again, why they're doing it. And then my next 15 minutes is going to be some kind of etude study or um, orchestral excerpt study. Uh, right now we're doing etudes just because I want to train them on how to practice etudes for all region and what to focus on and what their priorities should be in etude study. Then the last 30 minutes is always going to be some kind of rep study, although most of the time it's a little more structured than that. So I give them some kind of really specific goal for next week so we can go straight to that. They can show me the progress they've made over that week. Let them ask any questions that they need to address. Um, and then we'll always, always, always end the lesson on some kind of a run through so they have an opportunity to just make music for me and for themselves. So I always do my uh, announcements at the very, very end and I make sure that as much as I can, I give them ver um, written versions of that via text or some kind of alert or email to their parents afterwards. Okay, moving on. Number seven. Make it a priority to produce high quality print, digital graphic materials, lesson handouts, and social media graphics with Adobe or some other professional graphic design software. I cannot stress this enough. Guys, editing audio and video for your virtual class or your virtual studio is going to be so much more enjoyable if you have a software that you don't have to fight with and you don't have to, to work around. You want something that's gonna do exactly what you want it to do. Now, that being said, you're going to have to spend some time learning some of these kinds of softwares. I myself use Adobe products, so I've got a Creative Cloud subscription. Um, if you're a teacher or a student, that is a $19.99 subscription. This is, I'm not being <laughs> sponsored by Adobe. I wish I was. But it's a super, super good deal considering that you get access to literally all of their apps. So you get Photoshop for editing video pictures. You get Premiere Pro for editing video. Um, you get Adobe Audition, which is what I use to do all of my podcasts and all of my audition recordings, anything audio related. You get Illustrator and InDesign for print material. So um, I actually use both of those, specifically Illustrator for my digital graphics. So any social media post 
that's a huge deal for me. If I'm going to do a social media event or if I'm going to post something that's collaborative or something that I'm going to present to uh, parents or to other colleagues or to just a larger audience in general, I'm going to make sure that the graphic to introduce that event or introduce that talk or lecture or content is going to be really, really well produced. I would suggest go ahead and just get the free trial. There's tutorials inside of the apps that you can use that take you through all the basic basics. Um, and then of course, just like anything else, you can spend your time on YouTube and basically learn everything you need to know. But there are people out there too that will help you um, and kind of guide you through that learning curve. I myself am totally up and open for help. So if you need any tips or tricks on getting started with Adobe stuff, um, just reach out to me. But um, the good thing about Adobe products is that once you learn them, if you learn one, the interface is pretty similar throughout all of them. So um, I, ten I started with Audition because it's the first thing I needed when I got the subscription. And once I learned how to use Audition, the transition to the others was very, very easy. But you can do everything that you need. So if you wanna make graphics for your students, if you wanna make handouts to email to parents, um, learning packets, you can even do a little bit of like music related uh, material, but um, you'd probably have to start with some stuff that you put together on like in, uh, MuseScore or Finale um, and you can transfer uh, graphics and like save JPEGs over. But uh, outside of that, it's just really, really great software. Anything comparable will work, but that's my suggestion. Okay, moving on to number eight. Plan at least one virtual ensemble project every semester or every two to three months. Now we normally do this anyway, whether you're a private lesson teacher or a band director, you know, you got your end of semester concert or your end of semester studio recital. But I think it's important for us as musicians, as, as teachers to also plan these things for ourselves even if it's a small, 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 small thing. So let's say you wanted to create an event where you pick one large work to collaborate with uh, a pianist friend of yours and you guys do a virtual performance of something um, and link it to a fundraiser, right? Super simple, it doesn't take a huge event planning situation to put that together and it'll give you an outlet to prepare something really nice for yourself. And if we, if we show our students as performing musicians, it's gonna inspire them to do the same thing. We have a lot of really, really, really talented and creative artists in our studio, in our ensembles. And I guarantee you, if, they, if you, you give them ideas on how to create their own content, they're gonna go out and do it, right? If they see you making an acapella video where you cover some Fleetwood Mac song on your instrument with five different tracks, they're gonna go, you know what, I can do that too. If they see you putting a recording of Syrinx by WC, uh, an unaccompanied flute solo on Facebook, they're gonna go, oh yeah, I can do that too. Like I don't need a collaborator, I don't need anyone else, I just need myself and a camera and I can perform for all of my friends and family. So 
Yes, plan something like that. And they'll also enjoy doing things together. So if you have the technology and the time to put together small ensemble performances for small groups of your studio or in your ensemble, or if you wanted to try and put together a virtual choir or even a Zoom um, recital, for whoever wants to participate. Those things are really, really good for them, even though they may moan and groan. Parents will love it. Um, you're gonna get a chance to socialize with, they're gonna be able to socialize virtually together as a studio, as an ensemble, and it's just a feel good situation all the way around. So do your normal thing that we're probably gonna end up doing in December anyway, but see if there are other opportunities to perform virtually on your own, your solo students, or as a virtual ensemble. I'm probably also going to put out a separate episode on how to set up a virtual choir or ensemble, although this is a little bit overplayed. I, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you that if you go on YouTube, you're going to find a dozen different um, tutorials on how to edit together a virtual ensemble. So just go out there and find some really smart people. They're out there to give good advice. Number 10. Create closer, more genuine bonds with your colleagues, students, and parents. Boost direct communication by about 25%. Um, and this is just, this is just a, an estimation on my part. But I can tell you that since quarantine, I've been texting, calling, and emailing all of my parents and my students way more than I was during the school year. Part of that is because I don't see them in person anymore. You know, I used to go to their house and see them once a week and, you know, catch up and do all the stuff that we would normally do um, or see my students on campus and do all that catching up with them and their band directors. But since we don't have that opportunity, I make a, a very stringent effort to make some kind of one-on-one -on -one contact with everyone in my studio throughout the week. And you can do that by asking more questions um, of them, like offering them more frequent unsolicited compliments directly to them that aren't related to the actual lesson, right? It's really easy to give a compliment in a lesson as soon as they finish playing or as soon as, um, uh, you know, they say something smart. But it means so much more if you text that parent a day later and say, hey, I just wanted to let you know that Susie was doing really, really good and I'm so proud of the progress she's made and da 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 da. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that. They'll, they'll just be so over the moon about that, right? So take the time to do those things and do it genuinely. Don't blow smoke because they'll know. But yeah, more frequent uh, compliments directly to them, um, direct communication. Do the same thing with your colleagues, right? If they're posting stuff, if they're posting art, if they're posting, posting original content, like their stuff, share their stuff, comment, say, great job, this is awesome, keep it up. And not to brag, but I've just, I can tell you that from firsthand experience that I'm getting good feedback from my colleagues and it means a ton to me. It means that somebody's seeing it and somebody appreciates it, I'm gonna keep doing it. So do that for your colleagues if you see them posting content and um, hopefully we'll all just kind of keep that positive cycle positive feedback cycle going during this very difficult time. Okay, keep people in the loop of your thought processes and um, ask them for input and advice on upcoming projects or, um, or learning strategies. 
right? So something else that I've found really, really helpful through the quarantine is being very verbal and being very open about how I'm teaching their students or their kids and asking advice on how they think um, we could be more effective in lessons, right? And here's why. They're seeing it more firsthand than they normally are. I've got, I had a few students who I would teach from home, from their home, so their parents would actually be there in the room or be in the vicinity when I was teaching them. But for the most part, they're getting kind of a third-hand um, look at it. Well, now they're all getting a first-hand look at it. And so I find it really helpful to, to approach those conversations in a way where they're helping me help their student better. And it's not just to fluff up the parents and make them feel better. It's so that we can collaborate and give their kid a better virtual learning experience. Whether that's behavioral or just pers how to work with their personality better or just suggestions on maybe how you can approach new material, um, getting a read on their stress level without having to actually ask that from the kid because sometimes they're not going to be very um, forthcoming about that because, you know, every, every kid just wants their teacher to be happy. So I've found it's sometimes easier to talk to the parent about sort of their, their general, um, their general well-being. <laughs> so anyway, yes. So just talk to, talk to everyone. We all just like need someone to reach out and be there and, and give feedback and advice and praise and positivity. So, okay. Number 11 take care of yourself. Don't shame yourself for not filling every second of every day with work and creative projects. Now I've given you all of these detailed itemized lists of things to do during quarantine, during virtual learning. But honestly, because we're working from home, you've got to give yourself a break. Okay. I'm a super procrastinator, but I'm also the world's worst at filling all of my free time with projects. Here I am at nine o'clock on an evening where I just taught all day and I'm recording a podcast just for you. <laughs> so aside from this, do as I say, not as I do, but you got to make art and music that makes you happy. So if you're, if it's at a time where it's not making you happy, step away from it. You've got to, um, fulfill your scheduling priorities and your, your scheduling, um, responsibilities with your students and with your ensemble. But outside of that, chill every once in a while. Make art and music that makes you happy. Discover the fun of creation, teaching, and collaborating again. So be more mindful while you're teaching. Realize that because you're not in the room with this kid, you're not in the room with this ensemble, but yet here we are in 2020 and we're still, we have the technology to still be able to look at them in their face and hear what they're doing from miles away and still give them the structure that they need and the advice and mentorship and the musicianship skills that they need um, is amazing to me, <laughs> you know? So I have tried to really appreciate this moment instead of grumbling and groaning about how awful it is and how frustrating uh, working on a Wi-Fi si si signal can be and, you know, all the things that you could really, really complain about and take up all of your mental space, space with. Just don't worry about it. Enjoy it. Create art and content outside of your primary area and be an interdisciplinary musician. 
be a be an interdisciplinary artist. If you normally write songs, try to arrange something that somebody else has already written. If you're an arranger, try to write something that no one's ever done before. Um, if you are normally an instrumentalist, try singing something. If you're a singer, try learning a new instrument. Learn ukulele. I don't know. Um, paint a picture. Um, build something. I don't, there's so many different options, but I've done a lot of that myself and it's just really good for like mental clarity and, um, it gets your creative juices flowing and it all feeds into itself because if you're creative in one area, it's going to make your music better and it's, you're, it's going to make you a more creative teacher as well. So feed that. Okay. Now. The next little set, I'm going to go through really quickly because I'm already almost at 45 minutes and I'm trying to keep this under an hour because it's just my voice. Ideas for engaging your students more effectively while in virtual learning. So these are a little bit more detailed and I'm just going to write, just going to basically read them off as a list. Um, again, all of these might be broken up into smaller episodes later on that have a little more detail. But if you have any questions about any of these specific items, please reach out to me, DM me, um, email me, all of that good stuff. Okay, ways to engage your students more effectively while in virtual learning. Number one, share relevant content regularly. Performance videos by professional musicians, YouTube tutorial videos on technique and tone, social media content related to your instrument like TikTok videos, memes, etc. Stuff that's silly, but they like it, right? And podcast episodes. So there's a ton of podcast episodes that I've found that I just am continuously downloading and saving. And I'll basically, I've got all kinds of TikTok videos, YouTube videos, Instagram posts, pictures, articles that I found on Facebook that other teachers have downloaded um, and shared for all of us. Um, all, all kinds of different multimedia um, items that... I save a, a cache of, and then I'm basically just sending them out on a daily basis. So I have a group uh, text you can do remind me or remind 101 or any, whatever way that you use to directly uh, SMS your students, your studio or your ensemble. Um, and I just use that feed to send them all these different things. And they're sometimes related to things we're doing in lessons and they're sometimes not. But I really treat it more like a Facebook group, right, than anything else. If you join a teacher group, you're going to get a bunch of teacher-related memes or teacher-related videos. Um, so I just use it as like a Facebook group feed for them. And that way I can share all the different multimedia that I think they'll find interesting and useful. Um, something else that you can do to make that a little more streamlined is to, like I said earlier, create a teaching Instagram TikTok and YouTube channel all linked together in order to share content more synchronously with parents and students. So this is a really secure way that you can kind of keep your your personal Instagram, personal TikTok separate from your teaching or your professional um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube channel. And uh, you are then able to share that feeds uh, username to your student body and then they can go on and just add your stuff to their actual friends list and feed and then you can share content through those mediums. So that's just another way if you don't want to deal with social media at all and feel uncomfortable with that the idea of that then you can do it the way that I you know suggested as an SMS feed um, and 
the the I think the other good thing about maybe just sticking with an SMS text thread is that they're also able to share back and forth. So as long as you set your ground rules and you may even want to include your parents in on that as well so they can see the stuff that's being shared back and forth. But as long as you set the ground rules and say, you know, we can share anything here as long as it's music related, um, as long as it's related to, you know, the content that we're dealing with in class and in rehearsals, then you're good to go. Um, Okay, and then lastly, create original engaging content to coincide with specific lessons. Um, so for example, like you could make a TikTok or Instagram story about different the differences between Baroque and classical style or how to tune different notes in a, in a chord, um, just stuff like that. Again, that goes back to making things more engaging so that they'll feel like you're tapping into their world instead of you giving them material from your world. And that's basically it. I know that was a lot. It was so much longer than I expected it to be, but I felt like I was talking to an old friend. It's been so long since I've been able to talk into this microphone. And I really hope that you've gotten something out of it, even if it's just one or two things that you may not have thought about doing or, um, you know, wanted to amp up your routine just a little bit. Keep an eye out for future episodes. I'm going to hopefully be posting a weekly episode through October at least. Um, once, you know, once coronavirus starts to kind of calm down a little bit, we'll see where this goes. But I think until then, and we're probably looking at a more long-term situation than we anticipated, obviously. But until then, I think this pod, this podcast is going to be dedicated to teachers specifically and students and how to serve our students better. And, um, and it's, it's going to serve more as a sharing platform, an idea sharing platform. So that being said, to sum up, please, please, please send me all of your really good ideas. I want to include them. Um, I want to give you credit where credit's due. I want to learn from you and make my studio and make my virtual classroom better. So yeah, let's just share all of our good ideas with each other. I am on Instagram at PowellTK. I'm on TikTok at Teresa K. Newman. Most of that's kind of silly, fun stuff, but I do have a couple of music-related things on there as well. And I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me, Teresa K. Newman. And I'm mainly doing professional-type music-related content on Facebook and on TikTok. I'm not really that active on Instagram, but I probably will be linking these podcast episodes to Instagram. So you're more than welcome to reach out to me or DM me on there if you want to share some of your stories or ideas. But the best way to contact me is by email. So you can find me at TeresaKPowell at gmail.com. That's T-E-R-E-S-A-K-A-Y-E-P-O-W-E-L-L at gmail.com. All right. That's all I've got for today. Thank you guys so much for doing what you're doing. Teachers, please hang in there. Be safe. You're doing the Lord's work. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I love you all so, so much. Do what you're doing for your students and nobody else. Nobody else matters. Nobody else matters. All right? Okay. Cheers, guys. I'll see you next time.